It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Delano Squires joins us now, research fellow at the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and the Family uh, at the Heritage Foundation. Delano, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. So is this Trump's to lose? Do you, are you one person that believes in the polls, what's happening right now? <laughs> It, it certainly seems like it's Trump's to lose, uh, a, a sort of presumptive nominee who's this far ahead of the field. Uh, I can understand why he does. He feels no need to debate. Uh, and it seems like a good portion of the conservative base has coale- coalesced around him. So uh, it seems like it's his to lose. We will see what the current court cases that are against him, you know, whether they have an effect. But uh, if come next February, uh, you know, the, the president is facing even more, <clears throat> excuse me, even more cases and or looks like he may be headed to uh, federal prison. That is going to open up some very interesting discussions in, in the conservative base. Do people let you believe that they're actually going to be doing that, possibly heading to federal prison? Trump? I mean, I've heard people who say that that he's going to be convicted. Uh, I, I'm not following any of the cases close enough to, to know whether that's true, but it's certainly uh, a possibility that that is out there. So. Um, but again, the president is so far ahead in the polls that it's, it's the former president seems like he has no need or desire to debate. And then plus, given his personality, if you put him on a debate stage, no one knows exactly what he will say. And I'm sure that would make his lawyers very, very, very nervous. Uh, I get that sense. It's maybe happening now uh, because today he had a presser before his before his civil trial, and he's going back on the stand December 12th, so it's going to be interesting. How do you explain his surge when these cases started, when he was basically neck and neck with DeSantis in 2022 after those midterms? I think people underestimate how popular Donald Trump is. He, he's one of the few presidential candidates that I can think of in history who had uh, almost ubiquitous name recognition before he even entered his race. Um, he's extremely popular. He was in 2016. He's only grown more popular uh, among uh, the the conservative base, and I believe people, many of his supporters see the the cases and charges against him as as acts of persecution, and have made them more resolute to support him moving forward. The last poll I saw said he's getting he got eight percent of the black vote, which is more than Mitt Romney and John McCain. The last poll I saw he up to twenty percent. Mm. What's changed? Well, in, in 2020, he, I think he got between 18 and 20 percent of the black male vote. Uh, and that was a significant number for, for Republicans. Uh, I think other you know, black voters have become um, disillusioned with President Biden. Uh, I, I don't necessarily buy the, the, the take that Trump's criminal uh, difficulties make him more appealing to, to black people because, you know, we have such – hard times in the criminal justice system. I don't necessarily buy that. Um, but I think a lot of people are drawn to his message, and, and I think that cuts across different ethnic groups. What do you think is his message? I mean, it's the, the, I felt the feeling that you're being attacked unjustly. The people see uh, eye to eye with that. Is that the way it's being interpreted? I think part of it is that. 91 charges? Part of it could be that, but I think, for instance, if you look in, in a lot of cities, and Chicago and New York immediately come to mind, there are growing numbers of black residents in those cities who are completely fed up with the current administration's um, immigration policies. And they see migrants coming from from Central and South America who are taking over 
school buildings. I saw in Chicago they had some, you know, in, in a police station, and they feel like their uh, voting power is being diluted, and they don't feel like their needs right. as citizens are being prioritized. What about you? How would you describe yourself politically? That's a good question. I, I, I certainly would describe myself as conservative. I, I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian conservative, and I think that uh, modifier is extremely important. Uh, I'm not a mammon conservative, so I don't serve markets. I don't think corporations are are, are idols to be worshipped. Um, but just personally and professionally, I, I'm the type of person that I will likely vote for whoever the most conservative candidate is that's, that's left in the race. You know, I look at uh, Alan West. I look at uh, Senator Tim Scott. I look at Byron Donalds, uh, Burgess Owens mm-hmm. over the last few years. Uh, Mia Love, too. And I see more and more uh, African-Americans who seem to be more comfortable in the conservative lane. After reading about Booker T. Washington and seeing what he did at the turn of the 20th century, Mm. that seems to be the way he was. As bad as his life was, he wanted to see his way through uh, and make it better rather than condemn the situation. How do I make it better? Is that your attitude? Very much so. Uh, and, and just like within the broader sort of conservative movement, even within sort of the slice that's black conservatism, um, that word means different things to different people. So there's some people who are much more on the economics and entrepreneurship side. There's some people who are more socially conservative. Uh, for me, my foundations of conservatism, because I'm thinking about what I what is good to conserve, are, are faith and family. So that's why a lot of my work is around marriage, family, fatherhood. Um, and, and faith. And then from there, you can build education, economics, prosperity. Uh, but I, I always start with sort of the same right. foundation. You know, what's kind of interesting is there's a difference. There's programs to help you mm-hmm. and there's, there's programs just to not get in your way. It seems like a, pro, a lot of programs were created uh, reportedly to help and they seem to hurt. And when, when the president of the United States said, you know, what do you have to lose? People go, that's not a program. Don't say that. Right. But yeah, a lot of people didn't reject that, 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 uh, that statement. And, and I know this very well because before coming to Heritage Foundation, I worked almost 15 years in local government in Washington, D.C., not federal, but local government. Um, I did all sorts of, you know, public-facing jobs, um, you know, tech classes for kids, for ex-offenders, for, for adults, and then my last year in the Office of Gun Violence Prevention. So I'm I've seen the way government programs, some can help people, um, but many also can hurt people because they condition people to be to become uh, dependent on elected officials and unelected bureaucrats. So for me, I, much of my conservatism is not answering the question or asking the question, what are you going to do for me? It's asking the question, what are you going to stop doing to me? So in the in the uh, with the headline, I'm helping you. Correct, correct, correct. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Just cuts across the board, particularly in in, in city centers. Um, The way that the left stands behind sort of the K through 12 public education establishment, particularly teachers unions, and they say we need to fully fund schools. And Randy Weingarten says if we fund all the schools fully, we're going to raise results. But you can't find many Democrats who will support – Education savings accounts, universal school choice, school vouchers, even some don't even like charter schools. And they will consign their voters, largely black and Hispanic, largely low income, to schools where 1% of kids can read or do math at grade level. Now, their children will never go into those schools unless they're doing a service project that they can put on an Ivy League application. But they have no problem uh, taking votes from, from black and Hispanic voters 
and then turning around and saying, we're going to fight against the schools that, that you all need uh, in order for your kids to achieve a better life than you guys. So what you're saying, by the way, I'm talking to Delano Squires, who's a research fellow uh, at the DeVos Center, and also he uh, was with the Heritage Foundation. Delano, so for example, if people really cared about results, they look at charter schools. And it's a longer day, oftentimes more disciplined, a harder workload, sometimes uniforms. Uh, and the demands are greater. Sometimes the travel is even greater. But the results are there. So if you say, I'm going for minority, I want to help minorities, you cannot say school choice. You are against school choice. Those two th- don't gel. Uh, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, I grew up in Queens, and I, can, I don't know anybody who had a longer commute than I had. It was an hour and 45 minutes on two buses within my same borough. So Where'd you go? Uh, Cardozo High School. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so ch- charter school. Now, when I was um, a teenager, charters were. I mean, it wasn't a thing. You know, back in the late '90s, early 2000s. But now, again, being in DC, um, roughly about 45 percent of DC kids go to charter schools. So um, they have grown in popularity. And you know, there's, there's, kids there's, want them. But they got green lighted to do more. But there's a huge slowdown right now. Yes. With this governor not yes. doing it, not yes. funding it. Yes. And it was the same when, when de Blasio was here, and he, he was standing He was against, the worst. Right, against Success Academy and, and other charters that wanted to expand. And you have waiting lists thousands of people long um, because the parents want that education and want opportunities for their kids. So the debate that was that I have in the book, Teddy and Booker T, is W.E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and, and Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. And by W.E.B. Du Bois' primary complaint about Booker T, he was too compliant. He was too right. accommodating. What he says, no, no, I got a school in the South segregated South, where there's uh, poll taxes and there's lynchings and there's Jim Crow. I'm looking to make it better and educate people 1,500 at a time and give them life skills uh, and trade as well as academics. And where do you fall? Someone who's practical, even though there were things wrong around him, I have to pick my fights? Or a guy like W.E.B. Du Bois, who's a highly educated guy who formed the NAACP? So they're both highly educated. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. Booker T. Washington went to um, Hampton University. Um, I'm the type of person where I'm hesitant to judge too harshly the men and women who came before me with with today's sort of current standards. I wish everybody was like that. So so I understand why both of them were making the arguments that they were making. Now, now to me, I'm very much in the mold of Booker T. Washington. I'm I'm a cast down your bucket, you know, where you are. I'm a person that believes in industrial education. Um, and it wasn't as if Booker T. Washington wasn't teaching his students. He was just teaching his students a different range of skills. They, they were literally building Tuskegee Institute as they were learning. It's as, crazy. As, he as even made students. the bricks. C- correct, correct. And, and he understood that there were great lessons in that, moral lessons, uh, lessons in, in industry and thrift and hard work. Um, so I, I'm a person who thinks that he is his, – his reputation is not nearly where it should be within – um, within the black community. Com- correct. Within the black community. That doesn't mean that the boys didn't have points. And, and I think that it's hard to be a full citizen when you don't have voting rights, when you don't have equal protection under the law. But I think it is a mistake to believe that political representation can bring you anything approaching uh, social or economic equality in this country. As crazy as it was back there, Frederick Douglass escapes to freedom and, mm-hmm. and uh, Booker T. Washington, born a slave. They both loved the country. Right. And they want to make it better. Can we, can we learn from that? Absolutely. Uh, and and one of the, I wrote a piece a number of years ago contrasting the sort of anti-racism, quote unquote, of Ibram Kendi and Frederick Douglass. And one of the things that I said is that both Douglass wielded a rhetorical blade that was meant to prune, not to destroy. And people like Kendi 
for them, everything is is the language of destruction, deconstruct, uh, decolonize, destroy, dismantle, um, because those are the people that think our country is is inherently evil from from you know root to fruit, and we need um, a new founding, a new anthem, a new flag, and and what they want is massive social upheaval. Now they don't mind being paid very handsomely. Now they're anti-capitalists. On a lot one of that hand. money's gone, by the way. Correct. Um, but they will take all of your donations. So, so I think there's something to be learned um, in the lesson of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. So you have a couple more minutes around the break? Absolutely. Okay, good. And then we have Eric Prince at the bottom of the hour. There's something going on right on Venezuela's doorstep that should concern all of us. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Delano Squire is still here for a couple more minutes. Research fellow over at the Heritage Foundation with the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family. Uh, Delano, one thing that that I don't go heavily into in the book, Teddy and Booker T., but you think is important, is his partnership with Julian Rosenwald, a founder of Sears. Correct. And and they worked together um, to create, I think, over 5,000 schools um, across the South to educate uh, African-Americans. Oftentimes, with uh, those schools were started with money from ex-slaves, uh, and I think you know probably over four million dollars of donations from the community. So, it's one of those things where you can't get around. It. Education um, is one of the most important tools to upper mobility. So I always hear people go, well, "I'd love to get the black vote, but Republicans and Democrats, men and women, got to get mm-hmm. the black vote." What is the key to to uh, the black vote? You really can't generalize. I get it, yeah, right? But what do people want to hear, and what don't they want to hear? So, so for me, I, I think of a, a couple of things. I think of the home, the schoolhouse, and the, the state house. So, right, I, I think about family, education, and, and and law, particularly public safety. And many black voters um, don't feel safe in their own communities and are looking for politicians to address that, particularly anyone who lives anywhere near a city, Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, um, D.C., uh, I also, obviously, black voters are interested in an economy, in an economy that's that's working for them. And also, I think education is one of the most important and critical ways to reach black voters, as it is with any other voter. So school choice would do that. And the other thing would do, you have to support law enforcement to Correct. do that. Correct. Can that be a double-edged sword? Can that be the it, wrong message? It, it, it certainly can. And, and one of the big parts that people don't talk about in terms of getting the black vote is the fact that black conservatives for well over 30 years – have been maligned and disregarded. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries, when he was in college, was calling uh, Clarence Thomas a house Negro. So, so one of the things that, that we have to be honest about is the, the sort of low social value that being a black conservative has within the larger black community. Um, if, if you can attack someone like Tony Dungy, who's pro-life, pro-fatherhood, pro-marriage, and liken him to a white supremacist for talking at a March for Life rally, which, which a black report, journalist in the Washington Post actually did do, um, you know that anybody else, whether it's Tim Scott or Byron old, Donalds, the country's doomed. Uh, and he's adopted by 12 different black kids. Exactly. Right. Uh, exactly. Foster kids. Right. And sometimes full time adoption. Right. One right. of the finest Americans you will ever meet. Absolutely. Great coach. That too. Hall of Famer. <laughs> Hall of Famer. And a really good broadcaster. Delano Squires, thanks so much. Great to know you. Thank you for and, having uh, me. Thanks so much for uh, uh, reading Teddy and Booker T. Thank you for having me. All right. Listen. And by the way, I hope to see everybody in Dayton on Friday, Saturday in Kentucky, Sunday. 
uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to BrianKilme.com and just get your reservation. Eric Prince coming up next, a story you have to hear. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.